0: 2 Timothy, chapter 2. A little bit different passage this morning as we consider the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask the question, what does Christ's resurrection mean to us? 2 Timothy, chapter 2. i like to read the first 10 verses. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Thou therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier." And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound." Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Amen. On this day, literally hundreds of millions of people are celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we recognize millions more do not agree with nor believe this particular event actually took place. What I'd like to do in asking or answering this question this morning, what does Christ's resurrection mean to us? We'd like to examine, if you will, the fact of the resurrection and doing so from this passage of scripture uh, as we consider this subject. But no one in reading the New Testament can do so without observing the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as being one of the cardinal doctrines of the faith. A cardinal doctrine, that faith, that belief that is essential for someone to know they have a home in heaven and to have their sins forgiven. In the Gospels, we have the redemptive event of the death and resurrection of Christ. In the book of Acts, we have the redemptive experience of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in the epistles, the letters written here in the latter part of the New Testament, we have the redemptive explanation of his death and resurrection. If you're not aware of this, please note that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to the Christian faith. Without his resurrection, we today would have nothing on which to base our hope. Charles Spurgeon said, the resurrection of our divine Lord from the dead is the cornerstone of Christian doctrine. Perhaps I might more accurately call it the keystone of the arch of Christianity. For if that fact could be disproved, the whole fabric of the gospel would fall to the ground. Warren Wearsby said the resurrection is an essential part of the gospel message and a key doctrine in the Christian faith. It proves that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that his atoning work on the cross has been completed and is effective. The empty cross and the empty tomb are God's receipts telling us that he has paid the debt. The Apostle Paul, in particular, majors on the theme of the resurrection in his writings and, insi- and insists it is the groundwork for our salvation, the goal of our service, and the glory of our sanctification. What we'd like to do this morning is consider uh, these thoughts as to the fact of the resurrection. We're going to notice the uh, the prophetic evidence, the historic evidence, and the dynamic evidence. So I'd like to call your attention here to verse 8 in the text that we read in 2 Timothy and it says remember that Jesus Christ the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Notice first of all here the prophetic evidence associated with or demonstrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The phrase in our text the seed of David shifts our focus back to those prophetic utterances of the Old Testament prophets. For example, if you would look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 and 13. Keep your Bibles handy this morning. I'm going to have you turn to a couple verses of Scripture as we look at some of these things in the Old Testament that point to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're looking at the prophetic evidence of His resurrection. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12. The Scripture says, and when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is God speaking to David and letting him know that he is going to establish his throne forever. And we note that this statement made by the apostle Paul refers back to this promise of God that the Messiah would be the seed of David. Psalm 132 verse 11 says, The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. This is the promise made in the Old Testament that the Messiah would one day come and that Messiah would be of the lineage of David and certainly we as we trace back the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ we see he in fact is a descendant of David. Acts chapter 2 verse 30 Peter, in the great sermon on the day of Pentecost, there when God poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church and upon believers, said, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. You see, the promise was made in the Old Testament days when God promised David that his seed would sit upon the throne forever. And though we see no Descendant of David th- sitting upon the throne of God in Israel today. We know that one day he will for during the millennial reign, Jesus Christ will be the king of the world. He will establish his reign and he will sit upon the throne there in Jerusalem. And once again, rule or will rule as king of the world. Well, Peter in his message there at Pentecost, was saying, that was the promise, and now you people have the privilege of seeing the fulfillment of that promise in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're in 2 Samuel, turn over to Psalm 16, if you would. Psalm 16, verse 8. We see that this thought is carried further that Peter refers to in his message there at Pentecost. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11 says... I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Notice verse 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. This again is a prophetic statement made by David in regard to the fact that Jesus Christ, though he would die for the sins of the world, would not remain in the grave, but would be resurrected. And by the way, when you consider the prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, there are so many. But yes, just those that took place in this particular time frame, if you will, at the end of the Lord's ministry, there's the Old Testament prophecy concerning the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the exaltation of Christ, the replacement of Judas, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And the preaching of the gospel to the world. You see, there are many prophecies that pointed to Christ. To his birth, to his life, to his death, to his resurrection, and eventually his, etern- his reign uh, in uh, Jerusalem. But when we consider these great prophecies, a promise doesn't mean anything if it isn't fulfilled. Here we note that this statement made by, uh, by God, if you will, through David in Psalm 16, that he would not uh, suffer his Holy One to see corruption. We see that referred to also back in 2 Samuel chapter 22 in verses 1 through 7. We're not going to go back to read that, but Acts chapter 2 verse 25. Again, for David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption let me go ahead and just make a quick statement here about this thought with Jesus Christ and his death there's some debate as to what happened to our Lord when he died. I'm not talking about his body. His body was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and remained there for three days until God raised him from the dead. But Jesus Christ, we believe, went to Abraham's bosom and preached to the saints. And then the scripture tells us he led captivity captive. I believe that he took with him when he ascended into heaven all of those Old Testament saints in Abraham's bosom. We do not believe that Jesus Christ went and suffered in the literal fire and torment of hell. We do believe that hell is a literal place. It is a place of literal fire, of suffering of torment, of darkness, of smoke. It is a place where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, but that's not the portion of hell that uh, that Jesus went to. See, we believe that the hell is in the center of the earth, and in the center of that was Abraham's bosom, and that's where Jesus went. Luke chapter 16, you have the story of the rich man and Lazarus, how Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. The rich man opened up his eyes, being in torments. We're not going to go back through that passage, but that that's the correlation there. Jesus went to Abraham's bosom, preached to the saints, was resurrected, and then led those saints to heaven. But here we note, it says, would not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. The fact that Jesus Christ went and preached to the saints, but his body remained in the grave. His body did not endure or did not experience corruption as would a body naturally do in the decay process. No, death had no hold on the Lord Jesus Christ. Corruption, uh, the decay that takes place when a person dies, had no impact on the Lord Jesus Christ. This was promised by God in the Old Testament to David. This was foretold in the book of Psalms. It was referred to in Psalm 18, Psalm 116, and yet we note that this demonstrates the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. There was this promise made, the fulfillment that was brought forth, and thus the evidence that we have that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. By the way, David would not be highly venerated today had he lied about this given situation. You see, Deuteronomy 18 talked about a prophet And when someone declared to be a prophet and made a declaration, the expectation that God placed upon that individual. Verse 20, But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou Shall not be afraid of him. You see, God is saying when a man declares to be a prophet and makes a declaration, if you will, a statement concerning what's going to happen, God said if it doesn't take place, that man's not a prophet. He's a liar. He needs to be put to death. And for David to make the statement that his Holy One would not see corruption had that event not taken place, David would not be considered the great king and prophet that he was in Old Testament times his body wouldn't be buried there in Jerusalem he wouldn't be looked upon today by millions as one who is to be respected as a leader in the nation of Israel and as a stalwart of the faith in the Old Testament but all we see the scripture declares when God said he was a friend David was considered to be a friend of God and we note that God honored this man for his faith in him and therefore the words of David concerning this prophecy would come true and certainly we know they did and by the way Jesus also foretold of his resurrection the old testament saints did but Jesus did also Matthew 12 40 Jesus said for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth That's just a side note, but I've always found it interesting for those who believe Jesus was crucified on Friday, how you could squash three days and three nights between Friday evening and Sunday morning. Those who believe that are using a different calendar. (laughs) Now I realize there's debate as far as which day that Jesus was crucified. I personally believe he was crucified on Wednesday following the Jewish calendar, but whether you believe he was crucified on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. The point is that he died. He was buried and that he rose again on the first day of the week. He said it's going to happen that way, and it did. Matthew 16, 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Yes, Jesus declared it. David declared it. Prophets of old declared it. There is prophetic evidence to indicate that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was foretold long before it occurred and then it took place we're not getting into the debate this morning concerning those who would say well Jesus didn't really die after all he simply passed out from the loss of blood he uh, went into a comatose state or he swooned and the coolness of the tomb revived him and he was able to walk for now we don't believe any of that nonsense as being a viable argument in this situation for the scripture tells us that Jesus died on the cross He was dead You can say it any way you want You can try and explain it away any way you want But dead is dead I don't mean to be indelicate about this But there was no life ...in Him when He was removed from the cross. He died for the sin of the world. He didn't just go into a coma for the sin of mankind. He didn't swoon for the sin of mankind. He died that we might have eternal life. And He rose from the dead. There is prophetic evidence to indicate that. But back in our text, notice in verse uh, nine, uh, verse 8 as well, there is also historic evidence... Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. That statement was raised from the dead. Josh McDowell, in his book, I Can't Believe That, writes the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is one of the best proven events of the old world. If you look at the account in scripture of all the people that saw Jesus Christ after He rose from the grave. And it's not just a couple of people here and there. It's not a couple of kooks scattered about who were fanatical about their commitment to the Lord. No, he was seen seen by as many as 500 people at one time. That's not mass hysteria. That is people seeing the Lord Jesus Christ and being convinced that he rose from the grave. Neither Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius nor any other religious figure could claim in advance that he or she was going to die and then raise themselves from the grave but all the most humble of men the Lord Jesus Christ did exactly that he said I'm going to die and three days later I'm going to come forth from the grave that's why he could claim to be the resurrection and the life Frank Morrison, an agnostic journalist who attempted to write a book denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ after extensive research changed his mind on the subject. He began to believe what the Bible says about Jesus and consequently wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone. I have this book in my library. He testifies in it concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The book is considered by many to be a classic apologetic on the subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The four Gospels all give a united testimony that Jesus rose from the grave. Acts 4.33 says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 1 Corinthians 15.20 but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of all them that sleep. Another impressive fact of the scripture is that our Lord's risen body bore the evidence of the form of his death. Look, if you would please, at John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verses 25 through 29. Our Lord's resurrected body bore the marks of his suffering for the sin of the world. After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples in the upper room there on that first day, that Sunday. Judas was not there because he had already killed himself. Thomas was not there. And when the disciples relayed the account of that event to Thomas, he said, I don't believe it. Why, he's known as Doubting Thomas. So unless I can put my finger into the nail prints in his hand and thrust my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. The second Sunday, eight days after his resurrection, he also appeared in the upper room to his disciples. 26, again his disciples were within and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Jesus walks into the upper room, and all the disciples are there, and notice who he first addresses. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing." Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Can I share something with you? That last phrase, blessed are they. (laughs) That's us. (laughs) We have not seen, yet we believe. We do know by faith And believing God's word, we accept the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And the historical evidence of that event is overwhelming. Zechariah 13, 6 says, "...and one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends." Yes, we believe that on that day, Jesus, as he showed his hands to Thomas, bore the marks of that crucifixion. And by the way, he was crucified by having nails driven through his wrist. See, the Greek word for hand included the wrist. You can't drive a nail through the palm of the hand without breaking bone, nor would it be strong enough to support the weight of his body. It was driven through his wrist. So as he held out his hand to Thomas, he said, go ahead. There's your proof. I believe our Lord still bears those marks. The nail-scarred hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. The marks he bore, the beating in which he endured great suffering and great pain. I believe he still bears those marks in heaven. For one of the ways in which our Lord is referred to in Revelation 13 verse 8 is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world a lamb slain the songwriter fanny crosby said when my life's work is ended and i cross the swelling tide when the bright and glorious morning i shall see i shall know my redeemer when i reach the other side by the print of the nails in his hand yes and we shall know him by the same sign Not only is there prophetic evidence that Jesus rose from the grave, not only is there historic evidence, but there's dynamic evidence. Again, back in our text in verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Paul was not only concerned with the facts of the event of the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection, but he was concerned about the impact that that event had. Not just on others, but he gives testimony of what it meant to him. 1 Corinthians 15, he refers to my gospel, and he talks about the death The burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. But when he refers to my gospel a number of times in his writings, he has the opportunity to explain to certain people in the book of Acts what he's talking about there. He's alluding back to his conversion experience on the road to Damascus as recorded in Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 9. We don't have time to read through all of that this morning. Let me summarize it. Paul had received a commission from the high priest to go to Damascus and to harass Christians, if you will. He went there to do what he could to stop The movement of Christianity in that city. He went there to suppress the voice of those who were speaking out for Christ. He went there to, uh, if he needed, to arrest people who followed Jesus Christ. He had permission, if you will, to wreak havoc on the church and on believers in that area. On the road to Damascus, He saw a great light from heaven, and he recognized it was the Lord. For the voice from heaven said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. This voice from heaven, this light that blinded everyone that was in his company, addressed Paul and said, I am Jesus, There is no question on Paul's mind and heart at that moment whom he was speaking with. For the stories that he heard and the message that he was opposing is now confronting him. It is the Lord. And we know that his response to this trembled and astonished said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? This refers to the conversion experience of the Apostle Paul. He had the opportunity to share that with King Agrippa and others during his time of imprisonment and inquiry. But he always referred back to that time when he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, for someone who truly meets the Lord, he changes your life. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know he's changed you from an old, old creature to a new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are a new creature, a new creation in Christ. But for someone who meets the Lord and rejects him, their hope is gone. So you have a contrast, if you will, between the hopeless and the hopeful between the unregenerate and the redeemed, between the lost and the saved. Paul met up with the Lord, and as a result, repented and received Christ as Savior. And his message from that day forth came to be, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He had a burden to share the truth of God's word with us others. And in our text, when he's writing to Timothy here in 2nd Timothy, he says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He's saying whatever happens, and we read it in the opening part of the, the message, we read that that passage, whatever happens with opposition, persecution, disagreement, rebellion, whatever takes place, don't let it stop you because Jesus lives. And here we have that same promise today that Christ lives. The evidence of the resurrection that Paul put forth was, look at my life. He changed me. He made me a new creature. We have that same testimony we have that same evidence of our salvation we have the prophetic evidence the historic evidence and the dynamic evidence my question for you this morning is what has the resurrection of Jesus Christ done for you have you trusted Christ as your savior or have you not and if not why Is there a better opportunity to know Christ than to acknowledge him as Savior and trust him as your Lord? Jesus Christ is not a popular topic today. A recent study indicated that over 70% of teenagers in Great Britain have no, no belief in God. We see that number on the rise here in America today. All around the world, as I mentioned earlier, people are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but many, many as well are not going along with it. They're not agreeing to it. How sad. Some of you remember this. John Lennon, a member of the uh, the Beatles rock band in in, uh, Great Britain at the age of 26, speaking to a London reporter, said Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right. And I, it will be proved to be right. We're more popular now than Jesus. There are a lot of things in this world more popular to people than Jesus, but none more important. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact I trust that you know him as your Savior two thoughts here dying words two different individuals Socrates 400 years before the birth of Christ a Greek philosopher for whatever reason drank some poison hemlock and laid down to die his friends gathered round him and said shall we live again his response was this I hope so but no man can know what a sad outlook On eternity. And then you consider the dying words of D.L. Moody. Who said heaven is opening. Earth is receding. God is calling. I'm going home. The outlook that you have on eternity. Is dependent upon whether or not you believe. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. He is risen. He is alive. Hallelujah.